Let me pray, and then we'll look into God's word this morning. God, we, we do love you. Um, and just like we sang, too, we need you, and we're grateful for those moments in our lives where, uh, Jesus, you, you became more than just a name and a concept and an idea to us, but you became a friend. And so we, are, we eagerly await even more of those moments where we grow closer to you as our friend and our uh, king. So Jesus, help give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus, so we can understand what your word is saying to us, so we can know how to respond and become the kind of people that you've made us to be full of life and forgiveness and power. Let me ask this on your name. Amen. Um, so I go to the first slide there, the boldness slide. So this, uh, um, this is the series I started last week, Be Bold About Jesus, and some of you may have, uh, if you were here last week, but... So one of the things I like to do when I, when I, I, I just because of my, my seminary training, but also my academic training, I like trying to think about, like, the emotions of the Bible. And I don't mean, like, an emotion, like a weird way, but... So I went, on, I went online this week, and I was just kind of Googling, you know, boldness, and what is boldness, and, and, I, and I tend to f- gravitate toward these academic research articles that people have done about different emotions or whatever... And I came across this one article about boldness, and I'm going to put a quote on the screen about this, all right? Some have contended that boldness is a necessary component of psychopathy. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And the article is called The Role of Boldness in Psychopathy, a Study of Academic and Clinical Perceptions. So I'm reading this, and, I'm, and I had to kind of remind myself, too, psychopathy. Here's what psychopathy is. Neuropsychiatric disorder marked by emotionally deficiency, emotional deficiency, no empathy, poor behavioral controls, persistent antisocial deviance, and perhaps criminal behavior, all right? So I'm encouraging us to be bold, right? <laughs> so, so but, I, but I was reading this, and I thought, why is, why is boldness? This is like some academic study, and there's they, all these, I mean, it's more than two pages. This is the first page and the summary page. That's usually what I read because the article was way too long for me. I read it, though. But it was talked about boldness, and uh, they said there's people that have psych- psychopathy is either they, they have this there's disin- disinhibition, they don't care what people think, and then there's also they call a, a component of meanness, but then there's this component of boldness, and like, okay, but boldness is part of that, and maybe boldness contributes to that, and and it was talking about, you know, that, that boldness is the ability to, to remain calm in, bad, in stressful situations, to recover quickly from stressful situations, have a high degree of self-assurance, and have, real, have a high tolerance for unfamiliarity and danger. Well, that's all good, but if you, if you mix that with disinhibition and meanness, and you've got like a psychotic person. But still, the, 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 the article is all about like, okay, is boldness a bad thing? And they said there was, it was but it made me start to think about what is, what is boldness? And uh, sometimes what we might think is, uh, what, what really is boldness, we might think seems a little bit odd. I mean, Sadie told a story this week about somebody stopping, a cashier at a grocery store or somewhere just in the middle of finding out what Sadie, about Sadie and Knox and just said, let's pray right now. Well, you, right in the middle of a store, we're going to pray? The cashier stops and prays? And it, if we're honest, when people are bold in those kind of ways, sometimes, at least I do, I kind of step back and I'm just like, Ugh, is this appropriate? Is this socially appropriate? 
Um, my wife is bold at restaurants. If she ever gets a meal that's not what she wanted or exactly cooked the way, she will send it back, all right? And the kids, sometimes me, will be like, uh, yeah, we don't really know her, you know? <laughs> you know but, she, but she's like, I don't care. I, I want what I want. And, you know, and so, but, but what I, my point is, sometimes boldness can be perceived as a little bit, ah, something's off here. It's socially awkward. We may not think somebody's emotionally deficient or they're antisocial, but sometimes if somebody's bold, we kind of have this reaction of, that doesn't really fit the situation here, or it just feels socially awkward. And, and so, so sometimes our own resistance to boldness in the sense of the spiritual boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit to talk about Jesus often is because of this, what I'll call a false psychotic social awkwardness that we think, well, it's kind of awkward to talk about that kind of stuff with people. So, we've been, so the series is about boldness, bold about Jesus. And I went, uh, last week we talked from uh, Acts chapter 4, where after Peter and John healed a, a lame man, big commotion, they start preaching. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, get really upset because, not because they healed the guy, and this is, I always want to make this point and say it over and over, they weren't upset that they did a good deed. They were upset they did it in the name of Jesus. So I'm associating boldness with the name of Jesus in this series because that's how it's always associated in Scripture. So it wasn't that he did good deeds. Nobody in, the, nobody in our culture is going to be upset if you do a good act of good deed for somebody. But when you start talking about doing it in the name of Jesus, you get a little bit of an awkwardness with people and something people kind of raise. So it wasn't so they, they then the, the Pharisees say, they, they actually arrest Peter and John. They take him prison overnight and they tell them the next day, hey, it's okay to keep doing this stuff. Just don't do it in the name of Jesus anymore. And they're like, we can't. We can't not do it in his name. It's the only name you can be saved. And then the believers prayed. We talked about this last week. The believers prayed. Peter and John went back to the house, and they all prayed for great boldness. And it said that the house was shook, and they all were given boldness to speak the name of Jesus. So the boldness we're talking about is supernatural boldness. It's not just got to gear myself up. It's, it's a supernatural boldness, which doesn't necessarily have to be like, loud and brash. Sometimes it's just saying in an honest conversation, talking about your life with Jesus in a way that might feel socially awkward, but it's not forced. Because again, we, we often think that it's easy to talk about God, it's easy to talk about even spirituality or religion, but you start mentioning the name Jesus in a sentence with somebody who's not a Christian, and you, you know and I know it gets a little bit awkward right away in the, in the invisible world. It feels odd. So that was last week. So all the, every week we're going to look at the passages where boldness shows up. It shows up a lot in the book of Acts. It shows up a lot in Paul's letters because he challenges us to be bold. So this week we're going to look at boldness in Acts chapter 9. All right. So boldness, I'll just give you a real simple definition. Boldness is, is being able to be free and fearless, clear and confident about Jesus. Free and fearless, clear and confident about Jesus. No, no nuancing it, no backing down, no um, shrinking down the influence of Jesus because you don't want to be, make people uncomfortable. 
and that's bold, it's not psychotic, right? But again, it's socially awkward. So uh, Acts chapter 9, I'm going I'm to encourage you to do something too, not, not, right, not right now, but my phone's over there, but um, if you have a, how many people have like a Bible app on your phone? There's one called Version, and uh, I, that's what I listen, I use a lot, and has like tons but you can also, with some, some of the Bible apps, you can actually listen to somebody read the Bible story. And just this, the last couple of weeks, I've been listening to the passage I was going to preach on. I just listen to it. I close my eyes and I just listen. And there's something about hearing somebody else read it. It's like, for me at least, I start seeing things in the story I hadn't seen before. It's like, oh. This is like, so, so I just encourage you, just if you want to kind of change something in your Bible reading habit, Listen to a chapter. Listen to somebody read it, and just close your eyes and kind of picture what's going on. Especially in the in the Gospels of the Book of Acts, where the stories are mostly all narratives. If you try to do that in Romans, where it's heavily theological, you'll probably fall asleep within two minutes, right? But if it, if just listen to the story. So I'm going to start off by uh, reading Acts chapter nine, the starting part of it. It's not you have Acts nine starting with 19, but I'm going to tell you what happens before this. I'm not going to read all the stuff before this, but I'm going to just tell you what happens before in Acts chapter 9, and then we'll get to kind of Paul's boldness. So Paul used to be named Saul. He was uh, number one chief persecutor of anybody who followed Jesus. He was a religious person uh, to the max. Um, He followed all the Jewish laws. He was present when Stephen was stoned to death because Stephen talked too much about Jesus. So Saul becomes enemy number one to the church. And so Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9 starts off by saying this about the Apostle Paul, if I can find the. So I have my Bible in front of me, but I have to kind of print it off in larger font so I can read it, okay? Yes, for those reading glasses people, all right? Reading glasses people of the world unite, all right? Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. In my, what I have right here, underlined eager to kill because it kind of it raises the tension right away. Paul wasn't just Saul wasn't just eager to harass people who followed Jesus. He was eager to kill them. All right, that kind of changes the dynamics right away. He's eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, which is in Syria. Um, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way. The, the, the church in the New Testament was called the way. They were the followers of the way, the way of Jesus. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. All right? So this is Saul, who we now know as Paul. He wanted to kill people, anybody who was a follower of Jesus. So again, that, that put, should for you, and it does for me, adds a little attention to the story right now. This is not just a nice religious story. It's life and death, all right? So it says as Saul is on the way to Damascus, he comes across this bright light, falls down because he's overwhelmed by it, and then he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's on the ground. It says the people, all the men with him heard a voice. They didn't know what it was saying. And Paul just says, who are you, Lord? He knows that something's going on. And the voice says back to him, I'm Jesus the one you're persecuting, all right? So Paul hates the followers of Jesus. Jesus stops Paul on his tracks, literally on his way to Damascus. And so Paul gets up. 
he's, you know, can't see. His friends lead him to some, to the town, and he doesn't know what, he doesn't really know what hit him. He knows something happened that was supernatural. He encountered Jesus, the same Jesus he was intent on killing anybody who followed him. And then, and then the next part of the story, this is one of my favorite little vignettes of scripture. So Paul's in Damascus, blind in a house, not knowing what he's going to do next. His friends don't know what he's supposed to do next. He was supposed to go arrest people who followed Jesus, but now Paul is blind and he just heard from Jesus. And then it says there's a man named Ananias. And there's two Ananiases in the book of Acts. First Ananias is the one who lied with his wife Sapphira about what they got money-wise. That's not him. This is a different Ananias. And it says Ananias was praying in his home, so he's just a common person. We know nothing else about him except this story. And, he's, and it says the Lord said to Ananias, Ananias, get up, go to Straight Street. And he actually tells him the name of the street in Damascus. There's a house there, and a guy named Saul is there. And I'm telling him, I'm telling Saul in a vision that this guy named Ananias is going to come and lay hands on him so he can see again. Well, Ananias is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can I go back to the first verse of chapter 9, God? This guy wants to kill people. I've heard about this guy. So why are you telling me to go there to this guy named Saul? It's like a suicide mission. And And then the voice says to Ananias, no, no, no. He's, he's mine now, I'm paraphrasing, and I want you to go and pray for him so he can see again, and he's going to find out from you how much he's going to have to suffer now for my name. So Jesus is saying, no, no, an Ananias, it's okay. And again, if you're Ananias, your resistance to God is not mild. It's probably pretty strong. This guy kills people. No, go. So we can all aside, we can all hear the voice in that same, of God in that same kind of clarity. It's not, I mean, God may tell you to do something that you might have this strong resistance to. Well, I mean, we don't say this to God, but we might as well. God, that's a stupid idea. But God might say, no, no, I want you to do it. And Ananias somehow was convinced, as we can be, that it was the voice of God, and what he was supposed to do was from God, even though it seemed crazy, all right? He goes, knocks the door, finds Saul, lays his hands on Saul, prays for him. That things like scales fell from Paul's, Saul's eyes, and he sees. And then uh, God tells Saul, you're my chosen instrument. You're going to tell people about me. Um, he regained his sight. Paul ate some food, and then he regained his strength. So... Now we have the story where Paul, he's now Paul, is, can see, he's, he's just probably totally disoriented because he just doesn't know what now is supposed to happen. And then it picks up on here. So pick up this little, if you have this uh, slip of paper, just grab one on the chair if you can't find one. And this is what happens. Like, now I'm just going to read. I want you to follow along and you'll probably notice some things I've highlighted in yellow down below, all right? So Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All right, I want you to notice again, the clear marking point is Jesus. Not religion, not Christianity, not God, not spirituality. It's Jesus. And Paul immediately crosses that line. He wanted to kill people who follow Jesus. Now he's saying, no, he is the Messiah. He is the one. 
all who heard him were amazed. <laughs> Understandably. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They ask. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Again, notice his preaching is about Jesus. Not about Christianity, not about right-wing politics, not about morality. It's about Jesus. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. All right, tension's high again. They were watching for him day and night at the city gates. They could murder him. But Saul was told about the plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. No wonder. Last they knew of Paul, this is before, of course, text and internet and news feeds. That's they knew of Paul when he left. He was getting ready to arrest people to kill him. So now he's back and they're like, whoa, what? I mean, they're scared of this guy. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. They thought it was like a, you know, some kind of a plot that Paul was figuring out how to get on the inside. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Paul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus, and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had, here's our boldness word I put in yellow for you, preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. All right? Now, again, I, I'm not going to assume that bold preaching has to be loud and really, da, 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 you know, it's not that. Boldness is, again, it's clarity, it's fearlessness, it's focus. So boldness, you don't have to think that boldness means you have to yell or raise your voice or talk forcefully. But there can be a freedom. You can talk, you can be a soft-spoken person and speak fearlessly, confidently, and courageously about Jesus. So I don't want you to kind of buy into the mentality that boldness means brashness or definitely, and definitely not psychotic because you're pushing on things. So... But he preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, again, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. All right, he's always preaching about Jesus. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. I mean, think about that statement for a second. I might have had debate-like or conversations with people about Jesus but they were so enraged by the conversation, they wanted to murder him. I mean, this, this is tense. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Here's the thing I think from this passage really kind of sticks with me. So I, I've, no, I've noted on here on your page the yellow passage where he's preaching boldly. And it's you and I, at least I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can preach boldly in the name of Jesus. I can speak about Jesus. I can be fear, free and fearless and confident and courageous. And I'm not, I don't have to be psychotic. I can, I, it's going to be socially awkward. I can do all that. I can do that. I'm going to look for a chance this week to do that. All right? But then, now note, I didn't put it on yours, but up here in the red, kill, murder, and kill. Kill, murder, and murder, all right? 
That's a kind of boldness I don't understand. Because Paul knew what these people were like. He was one of them just days before. He, he knew the intensity of wanting to kill those who followed Jesus. So just think about the social dynamics that if for you to talk about Jesus and saying he's the son of God, saying he's the Messiah, he's the one that can turn the world right side up again, he's the one that can change you to be kind of the kind of person you want to be. Can you imagine not, you might feel animosity in social awkward situations, like feel like, oh, that's kind of, but this is animosity and social awkwardness like times 10. They want to kill him. Said he debated with the Greek-speaking Jews. Apparently they didn't like the fact they couldn't win the debate, I guess. I don't know, they wanted to murder him. And, and so when I, and in my, in my piece of paper back home, I had, a, I had lines going from kill, murder, murder, to bold and bold, and I thought, where do you get that kind of boldness? I mean, Paul wasn't ignorant about their desire to want to kill him. He knew that, he probably knew some of these people. They were probably his comrades from weeks before. So he's bold, and he knows the consequences that might very well happen to him if he continues to be bold in the name of Jesus. You and I, and I might, you know, you and I might say, well, I mean, if we were advising Paul, if he was sitting like right here, we might say, Paul, maybe for a while turn the volume down on the Jesus stuff. Talk about being good people and Christians and talk about God and spirituality and talking about forgiveness and grace and mercy, but maybe tone down the, the Jesus is the only way talk. I'm not saying we would, but I, we, we would probably consider, because Paul, that might let the pressure down on all of us a little bit, and then when the smoke clears, we can maybe turn it up slowly again and look for opportunities to talk about Jesus again. But from Acts chapter 4, when they prayed for boldness, and now in Acts chapter 9 with Paul, that was not at all their protocol. They're like, no, no, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. And so I go to the next slide, because this is the question. Will you pray for that kind of boldness? The kind of boldness, I mean, we need mostly prayer. I need, I need boldness if I can talk about Jesus without feeling the darts of social awkwardness toward me. Paul has a kind of boldness. He doesn't care if somebody has a gun pointed at him. If that's the kind of boldness a human being can have in the name of Jesus, supernaturally empowered by Jesus, isn't that something we should want? And I thought about this this week. I was wrestling through some of this stuff. I think that's all who of us really are. I think at our core... We know there's a boldness inside of us because of the spirit of Jesus. We know who the real us is because God knows who the real you is. And he knows what boldness looks like in your own personality. And you know and I know we've turned the volume down at times on our boldness because we don't want to be socially awkward. We don't want to be even mildly considered psychotic. And uh, we want to fit into the social norms, so we've turned it down. So, and again, I'm not, I'm not advocating taking the knob and going, wah, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, can we pray for, 
will you be willing to pray for yourself for the same kind of boldness that Paul had? Because his boldness was not ignorant of the potential consequences. And if the consequences are simply a confused look, a confused look from a coworker or an awkward comment from a friend, or, or just the fact that you know that maybe one of your friends or coworkers or family members thinks you might be odd or mildly psychotic because they don't abide by social norms, do we have confidence in the power of Jesus inside of us that that should not make a difference to us anymore? And I'm not saying you can mimic that. That's only something you can have if the Holy Spirit is in you. And that's why I'm asking you and myself, am I willing to pray for that kind of boldness? Because if I'm asking for that kind of boldness and the Holy Spirit says, okay, if you're open to that, I will give you that kind of boldness. But the Holy Spirit might also say, if I'm going to give it to you, I want to give it to you because I want you to use it. And you might, if you, by asking for it, you might find yourself in a situation where you may have to talk, not may have to, that sounds like guilt, where you, are, you feel compelled to talk about Jesus in a way consistent with your own personality, but in a way that's free and fearless and courageous and clear. And I keep saying consistent with your own personality because I'm not, nobody, the, the Bible never asks any of us to become, you know, loud and bold in that way consistent with how made God made you and your personality and how you relate to people, there, there will be, if you ask for this kind of boldness, there will be a time where you realize this is the time. I'm not changing my tone of voice. I'm not going to change my posture. I'm just going to mention to somebody, no, yeah, we follow Jesus, and that's why we do it that way. That's why I treat my wife that way, because I follow Jesus, or... No, I, I believe Jesus, you know, I was talking to somebody, I won't say where it was, it was in another church, so it was a weekday, and they were saying, oh yeah, we, I just believe all, all roads, you know, the all roads lead to God thing. And I thought, I don't want to argue with the guy, but I just said, well, I'm, I'm just a firm believer when the Bible tells us there's no other name under heaven by which we can save except Jesus, so I don't, I don't, I said, I don't. I don't think all roads lead to God. I think Jesus leads to God, and there's many ways people get to Jesus, but I think Jesus is like, he's the key. And I'll say that again, because this is one thing I've, I've said to people. I think there is one way to God, and that's through Jesus. I do say this to people. I think there's many ways to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that Islam takes somebody through Jesus, or Buddhism does. But Jesus is pretty creative in how he gets people's attention. Jesus will always lead people to God. There are many ways people might be led to Jesus in spite of uh, their upbringing. So that's one of the things where I think prayer has a big difference because I've, you know, you, you might think or I might think, well, what about the people born in, you know, New Delhi, India who are Hindu? Or what about the people who are born in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia? They're, they're Muslim God doesn't want anybody to perish. He says that. He wants all to come to repentance. He also tells us there's no other name except Jesus. So God is not going to be biased 
toward Western Americans who are born into Christian homes. Everybody has a chance to know Jesus. And so uh, we need to stop. I need to stop. We all need to stop, even in our tone, being apologetic about that. Because there is no other, there's no one other person except Jesus who's going to turn the world right side up again. So um, I think I told you once, I'll close with this. Um, then we'll put another slide on this. I, 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 told, I teach a class at IU, and I taught one last year, but after, after class one day, half the way through the class, the guy said, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, I tell you. I tell him the first day of class I'm a pastor. And he said, I'm really, I was really kind of concerned about that, and I was like, why is that? And I said, he said, well, because I thought you were going to flash up John 3.16 on the screen during a PowerPoint lecture about learning theory. And I was like, why would I do that? He goes, I just think that's what pastors are like. I was like, thank you. So, but I said, I said, he said, are you a Christian? And I said, well, I, actually, I don't, even, I don't even call myself really a Christian anymore. And he looked at me funny. I said, no, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an absolutely avid fan and follower and friend of a guy named Jesus. Because I, I think he's God and I think he's going to change the world. I said, if that's what Christian means to you, I told the guy that, that's what it means to you, then I'm a Christian. But I'm an avid friend and follower of this guy named Jesus. And he's like, oh, I like that. And I was like, but it was one of those moments where I wish I would say that more often. And I didn't have to, I didn't change my body posture. I, want, I didn't go like this or anything like that. I, I just said, no, I'm a, I'm a really, I'm an avid fan. I'm an avid follower of this guy named Jesus who is man, but I also believe he's sent from God and he's God. I mean, it may have been awkward in the conversation, but the guy didn't shoot me, I know. Like, but, and I actually felt kind of invigorated afterwards. And, you know, we, we I'll say one more thing, because I said this in my, I'm, I'm thinking about, one of the reasons I like teaching some classes at IU, because I'm around non-Christians on a regular basis in that way. And I told one of my classes, I said, you know what, I want you to know something about me. I said, I'm a 60-year-old, loud, white male. And I said, I'm a 60-year-old, loud, white male pastor. And I know you have all kinds of stereotypes for people like me. And I said, but please don't treat me with stereotypes. I won't treat you either. So people have stereotypes about what Christians are like. Oh, you're a Christian. You're an evangelical, whatever. No, okay. Don't be afraid of the stereotypes. Kind of run right into it and say, no, I'm, that's, don't, don't, you know, I'm not going to treat you with stereotypes. Don't treat me, but I'm going to feel free to talk about Jesus. I don't do that in my classes. I don't do it in awkward situations. I don't tell the the cashier at Starbucks, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. I mean, maybe if I want, if God tells me to, I would. But when it comes in a natural situation, inconsistent, consistent with your own personality, but also consistent with the boldness the Holy Spirit puts in you, there's times where I'm going to encourage you to look for those opportunities to speak about Jesus. All right? So go to the, go to the last slide now. This is a slide that leads, I mean, this, and this is a passage we'll look at in a few weeks. Because the boldness we have, the boldness that we're given supernaturally is not just the boldness to talk about Jesus, it's also the boldness to talk to God because of Jesus. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10, he says we have boldness. We don't need to come to God afraid, ashamed, embarrassed, I haven't had a good week, I've been a bad Christian, I've made too many mistakes. But the writer says, no, since we can have boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, again, Jesus is still connected to the boldness. 
We talk about Jesus with boldness, but when we come to God, we come with boldness because of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened up for us, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance and faith. So every week we take communion, and we take it because it's a reminder to us, Jesus said, every time you take this, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, I want you to remember me. And the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says that we can be bold because Jesus has this whole new way for us to relate to God. We don't need to relate to God as one that we're trying to appease, that we are trying to earn favor with. It's like, no, we have that because of the blood of Jesus. So we can ask God boldly for things. We can come to God boldly for things. So Aaron's going to come up, lead us in another song or two. <clears throat> we're going to take communion and... Uh, I always try to think of something practical that when you put the wafer into your mouth, you know, we dip it in the cup. And, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to let that be a prayer for you inviting uh, the boldness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, inside of your life, inside of your personality. Um, it's not going to change you into the incredible Hulk kind of voice or anything, but it's just an invitation. Jesus, I want more of the boldness that Jesus had, that the followers in the book of Acts had, I want that inside of me by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to remember about you, Jesus. You came to open up this whole new bold way for us to relate to God so we can be open, free, fearless, and confident about talking to people about Jesus. So, uh, Aaron, come on up and lead us, and I'll pray. And, uh, so, Jesus, we, uh, we love you. The Bible tells us you opened up this whole new way for us to relate to you. Often in many world religions today, the way to relate to you is people try to appease you, earn favor with you, earn steps up to the, to the, uh, to the open room that we want to go into, but we don't have to do any of that. We don't have to earn anything. We simply say because we trust Jesus, we trust what you've done for us, we can have a bold conversation with God about our lives. We can have a boldness about what we want to see you do in our lives and through our lives. And so we, we, with gratitude, Jesus, take this, this cup and this wafer into our bodies as a way to invite more of your Holy Spirit into us, which includes your incredible, free, fearless, and courageous spirit of boldness. And uh, we love you, Jesus. We ask this all in your name. Amen.